Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Hey guys, I just want to do some Patreon shoutouts. And remember, check them out, check out Patreon for extra episodes a month. It starts at a dollar. So it's kind of a fun way to support the show. Feel no need, but if you want six episodes a month, it's a great way to get extra episodes. So thanks, John, the wild man from Queens, Alex Kirk, Boobies and Newbies, Rachel, Landshark, Carrie Gillen, Erica, Obscura, a true crime podcast, Bonnie Lee, and Kate. Thank you so much for being Patreons. You guys make my month brighter and help support the show. So thank you. Hey guys, I got a new sponsor this month and it is Feminist Book Club, which is super amazing and really actually a different kind of uh, subscription box. So it's a community driven one. So you get to vote on what books in there and all of that stuff. So Renee actually on top of the book, you get these really cool products. I am loving the bookmark that was in there this month on top of the book, which is shrill. So you know that Hulu show that came out? Yeah, the book was in there this month, but all of the products come from women in queer-owned small businesses. So it's a different way to support local businesses and small businesses. So if you're interested, get $5 off your first Feminist Book Club box with the code BOOK5 at feministbookclub.com and let them know I sent you. It's really a different kind of book club, and I think you guys would really love it. I'm loving it so much. And if you want to see what was in this month's box, check out my social media because I did a post of everything that was in there. And let's not lie, I'm using all the stuff already. (laughs) Welcome back, devotees. We're back with Mike. Hello. And now I get to scar Mike. Yes. Which our friendship has mainly been us mutually scarring each other with facts we find. Yeah, that's what graduate school is. <laughs> and then just sobbing into books? Just self-flagellatory learning. <laughs> I don't think that's what they're going to put on the banners. Probably not, no. <laughs> Actually, knowing our history department, maybe. I mean, it depends on the art they choose. <laughs> just make it a little questionable? Yeah. So, have you heard of Mikhail Viktorovich Povich? <laughs> I'm already starting over. Take two. <laughs> I'm still laughing about what we talked about before, too. Yeah, it was fun. It, it was, was fun. fun time. Mikhail Viktorovich Poplov. Poplov. I don't think I have. Also known as the werewolf murders. Ooh. <laughs> I Color like what, me intrigued. I like what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize to everyone I know who speaks Russian, because I don't. And, yeah, I don't either. And we the sad thing is, between the two of us, we know a significant number of people who are specialists in Russian. And we should probably apologize to them individually when we're done recording this. We'll just call them. Or we should have called them beforehand to ask how things were pronounced. We <laughs> we could have asked Nordog. He would have told us. Yeah. 110% and then been very confused on what we're doing with our lives. We'll, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> so, Mikhail, I'm going to use his first name because I can pronounce it very well. So, mm-hmm. was born March 7th, 1964 in Norsk. Russia, his mother, Antonia, um, really stood by him for a very long time in this case. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And mind you, we're not going through the trials because they're still going on. Oh, this is this is active. This is ongoing. Uh, I someone I had told that we were, I was doing this case sent me an update of more convictions. Oh, okay. I, I told you we're going for a high number in this. Okay, let's get it. So. We don't really know a lot about his upbringing or personal life because every time they try to talk to him about it, he shuts down like a Russian robot. Okay. Well, like powers off. <laughs> yeah. Putin pulls the plug. Putin don't send anyone to kill me, please. Um, in his teens, we know that Mikhail spent much of his time skiing and hanging out with friends, as Russians do. Cool. I'm assuming. Cool. Yeah. Fun guy. He was... Pretty good in school. He received top marks because he studied hard and his mother was like, education's important, like most mothers do. Oh, good. He would take care of his mother by making her breakfast in the mornings. He was well-mannered and really there was no signs of anger issues, psychological precursors in becoming a serial killer. Oh, he was a good little boy. Yeah. He just didn't have a daddy. Okay. Is that going to... No. Is that going to come up? Okay. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to point... It's a single mother household, so he's... Sure. They're working hard. And raised by a strong, independent woman. Keeping it together. Yeah. He had several girlfriends, strong social life, and seemed to get along with everyone. He lived with his mother until the mid his mid-20s, then finding a small flat and heading out into the world as an intelligent and handsome man. Ooh, get it. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can grab a picture for you. Okay. This is Miko. Bonjour, Mikhail. Okay, I'm immediately, like, the stance, like, it's very, like, squared off with, like, hunched forward shoulders. This He's not unhandsome, you know? He's just, uh, that's a threatening pose. He's Russian. He's Russian. <laughs> it's just a cultural difference. Yeah. Also, he's just probably ridden a bike a lot, so he can't move. Yeah, he's just... His lower half. He's just dead from the bike riding. Yeah. And someone else is dead from the bike riding, I guess. <laughs> So, in his late 20s, Mikhail met his wife, Elena. They dated for a while, got engaged, had a traditional Russian wedding, which I'm assuming is really fun. I have no idea. We haven't, I haven't been to one. I haven't been invited. How rude of them. Yeah. To not invite us. I mean, the country of Russia. We haven't had a lot of contact, me and them, so opportunities have not arisen. How do you know? How do I know? They could be listening right now. I mean, hopefully some of them are. This is a podcast. <laughs> If you're Russian and listening to this podcast, I might come to your wedding if you invite me. Yeah, please invite us. We're very intrigued by your wedding customs. All I know is what I've seen from uh, Total Divas, it was a Bulgarian wedding, and uh-huh. it was very intense. Oh, like in, like... A good way, oh, just okay. a lot of tra- traditions and things you have to do. A lot of do. stuff going on. Yeah, like a couple days. A busy wedding. Oh, yeah. okay, multi-day weddings. Yeah. Uh, oh, the party. <laughs> within two years, Elena gives birth to their only child, Ik Katrina. Say it again. Ik Katrina. Okay. E K A T E R I N A. Okay. Ik Katrina. Who's to say? Mikael maintained a various number of jobs as a young man, from used car salesman to security guard, until age 28. At that time, he became a police officer at the same place where his wife worked, Angusgard Police Force. And it's 1992. That's the year I was born. Me too. Woo! Sounds like a good year for us, a less good year for whatever's going to happen here. <laughs> less good year for angst. So, angst uh, So, they both have promising, successful law enforcement careers. Mikhail rose to the rank of sergeant within two years of being employed and eventually would reach the rank of second lieutenant. So, he's doing he's great. Not, yeah, he's a smart cookie. Yeah. And then he leaves the force in 1998. Just lose. Yeah. He retires. He's being super successful. 
He worked there for six years and then retires. Okay. We don't know why. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Anks, Russia. It's a Siberian city, so toasty. Fun. With a population about 200,000. Okay. So pretty pretty decent size. Sizable, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's large and it has like any problems with crime that a large city would experience. Sure. So you have a decent sized police force to deal, you know, with what you got. Probably on a little on the small side, which will come up. Okay. So Mikhail received a co- accommodation at work when he was still a police officer for rescuing a woman as a man was in the process of raping her. Oh. Yeah. We went dark real quick. So, so he's rescuing someone from this. Yes, he's rescuing. Okay. He's not raising He's the hero of this story. He is. He heard a woman screaming, ran to her aid, saw the suspect on top of her with his, uh, the pants down, and he's like, okay, I know what's going on. Without hesitation, he orders the man to stop. Man did not stop. So Mikal shot and killed the man. Uh, okay. Quick escalation. Just does, does, one and done. Yes. Stop, no, bam. All right. Yes. I mean, it's pretty bold to, like, continue... When a police officer is yelling at you. Yeah, it's also Russia. I guess. And remember, it's early 90s, so... I don't. No? I don't remember the early 90s that well. (laughs) Early 90s, fall of Soviet Union in 91. Definitely true. So... Law is... Law is gray, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. That makes sense. Not said in a David Tennant voice. Right. This incident where he stopped a rape occurred early in his career, and some, like you did... Uh, questioned why he shot the suspect instead of, you know, overpowering him and taking him in. It just seemed like he, he went right to the shooting, which in that particular crime, I could see being, uh, yeah. Yeah. Get rid of that. Mm-hmm. So, Mikael in his spare time had two passions. One which you got to see, training and competing in biathlons. Okay. And then spending time with his daughter. I should mention, every article about him says he's a devoted family man. So he's a fit boy and a good daddy. Yes. Okay. Um, he's extremely fit and quite strong, despite being 53 years old. Oh. So. Right now, right now he's 53 years old, or? Um, I think around the time, but he's still like you yeah. look at this dude and you're like, okay then. Pre-built. He's wiry but muscular. Yeah. So he's a wiry dude, but he, you can tell there's some mus- it's right. muscle. It's muscle. Right. Behind it. Also, that is a horrible picture. It looks like he's a gremlin. He does look gremlin-y. So, but it sounds like he's a gremlin at heart. Yes. The really bad part about him having the strength and stamina is it made it easier for hunt to hunt, overpower, and kill his victims. Oh, my God. Because most of his murders relied on the sheer brute strength of his hands. Oh, my He would manhandle his victims as he bashed in their heads with rocks or against trees, causing oh them to bleed out and die. And we haven't gotten to the victims because them catching him was pure accident. And so you have to go back and retroactively figure oh, out. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was not uncommon for people to find the brain matter, broken bones with compound fractures and detached limbs at his murder scenes. Kind of why the werewolf aspect comes apart. Because he just Cause was, he's like literally ripping these bodies to pieces. Yes. Holy crap. Uh, no one who had responded to these killings could comprehend such carnage and disregard for human life. So just think about that. It's very vicious, all of these. Yeah. And we're only going to talk about, I believe, three of the actual victims. Okay. And there's a lot of them. Oh, God. So, in, like I said, in 1998, Mikhail abruptly retired from the police force in search for a new job. He again began selling used cars because he was very good at that and became a security guard at the Anxgard Oil and Chemical Company, which is Russia and Siberia, so there's lots of oil. In there. Okay, yeah. He would travel great distances 
across Russia from Asgard to Vladivostok, uh, which is several thousand miles. And he would just be ferrying used cars back and forth, okay. as you do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So let's get to the victims. And we're just going to go with this. During this time, he's picking up women in his police uniform while driving a police vehicle. This is when he's still a police officer? Yeah, he does it for a while while he's a police officer that we know of. And then afterward, oh, okay. um, he does stop. And we'll get to why that happens. But um, he's continuing this facade of a perfect husband and father. Like, people didn't believe it when it came out. And the reason why they caught him, you can't really lie about it. So, October 28th, 1998. Victoria Chagnov gave her younger sister... Tatiana or Thalia Martovo, who is 20, um, uh, concert tra- tickets to a local vendor. Tanya ha- had convinced her husband, Igor, to watch their young child so he- she and her girlfriend, Yulia Kuprifyov, at uh, 19, could go and hang out, have a girls' night, go to the concert, have a good time. Yeah, go out. Mm-hmm. So Tatiana, uh, Tanya left their flat uh, dressed really nice and eager to have a good time. Igor kisses them goodbye. He's kind of he kind of didn't want her to go, but she's like, no, let go. It's gonna be fun. Well, the morning of October 29th, Igor wakes up and notices that uh, Tanya's not in their bed. He immediately phones Victoria and asks if Tanya was with her, because you know, first thought, oh, she was out late. She went to her sister's. Didn't want to wake the kid. Fair. Both Igor and Victoria, knowing about the unsolved murders of girls around the same age as Yulia and Ta- Tanya, begin to panic. So there's at this point there's already rumors of the werewolf murders and there's a bunch of yeah we're in a milieu of death we're in the middle towards the end of this spree that he's having yeah igor and victoria meet up at the police station wishing to report tanya and yulia's missing the police said they need to wait three days as the girls are adults okay because it's the 90s and that's the way the law works yep they were both convinced that Tanya's in danger and described and like they were both like we were so sick our stomachs were worried about her Sister and wife, like, you're going to be freaked out. So, that night, a shepherd near Miget, a small village close to Ansgard, found two deceased female bodies. So, it's a quick turnaround. Yeah. The police did not immediately call Igor or Victoria about the discovery, even though they had suspicions that it was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. They frantically, I just love this choice of words, frantically tried to investigate the crime scene and locate any evidence. Frantically? What, they're just throwing shit around? (laughs) You know, they're just like, they're just like... Take pictures of everything. Let's go. Uh, Before making their discovery known, because there's been a bunch of murders and people are concerned. As they should be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in favor of the concern. Um, There was no doubt by the investigation team at the scene that the person who had killed the girls was the same person killing girls and women in the area at an alarming rate. And again, remember, our suspect is a police officer. Yeah. A second lieutenant. What? Just curious. What do you think second lieutenants do? They're not beat cops. No, right. They're probably involved in a lot of... Investigations. Larger investigations. Yeah. You feel good? Do I feel good? <laughs> you doing okay? No, I'm not, I'm not loving it. <laughs> so, at approximately 1 a.m. the following morning, the police phoned Victoria. She recalled the events. Quote, it was 1 a.m. when Tanya's husband Igor and I came to the police. We did not tell our mother yet. Igor was absolutely devastated and could only pre- repeat, she was killed, she was killed. I was shocked too, but I could not believe it. And I replied, 
what are you talking about? Later, we were told that their bodies were found next to each other and both girls were raped, cut, and chopped, end quote. <laughs> so these bodies are so oh. defiled. And yeah. the as I was reading, in Russian culture, you want the open casket to kind of like let the body and like everybody see okay, it more yeah. and see the sky. With the letting go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some of these they can't. They can't do it. It depends how their heads were treated. How their heads were treated. Some of them got the rage towards the front of the, the head, okay. and others got it towards the back. So okay. if it was the back of the head, you can kind of... Right. Ad- You're laying in the casket. Yeah. Others that were so bad that they had to have closed caskets. Oh, my god! Like, out of necessity. And, like, yeah. I think they only showed the faces if they did, because it was bad. Oh, my gosh. The horrific crime scene was similar to many more in the area and fueled the sadistic label of the werewolf killer the unidentified killer at the time. So what happened to these girls? After the concert, Yulia and Tanya went for a quick drink with friends they had found at the concert. They had a few more drinks than they anticipated and eventually wandered out of the tavern they were drinking in. They're trying to figure out how to get home, you know, too many drinks, you don't oh, yeah. drive. And a policeman in a police car rolled up to them and both get, girls were like, it's safe. Yeah. It's a cop. Yeah, it's your local police force. Mm-hmm. They entered the police vehicle. Victoria explained, quote, the only, the only fact that this bastard was in the police in a, uniform, in a police uniform explains why Tanya got into his car, end quote. So she felt safe enough with the police to get into his car. Right. They were aware enough to know, like, yeah, should not be getting into random dudes' cars. Right. As most people should not get into random people's cars. It's not recommended, unless you're using Uber or Lyft or one of the other many services that we now have available to get into random strangers' cars. Through the internet. Through the internet. So... Even with that lead of a policeman in a police car being the last person to see the girls alive, the investigation appeared to stop dead in its tracks after the bodies were uncovered. Why, you may ask. Even if the investigators did not, like, suspect the police officer of killing these women, they should have at least tracked down the officer and asked, like, hey, where'd you drop them off? No. Yeah. Didn't get checked. Nothing. Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. So the, funeral was att- the funerals were attended by a few people in the town. You know, it's, again, spreading the rumor to young girl women were, like, raped and killed. Right. And there's fear and confusion. So the tension in this town at this point is ripe. Cut it with a knife. Yeah. Uh, And the police has not provided any details about the investigation to the public. So Victoria added, quote, Igor was almost in the same uh, condition, like just broken up. Tanya's coffin was open. Her face was not hurt. Her damage was to the back of the skull. Her body was heavily cut. Yulia's coffin was closed. Her face was cut up and disfigured, end quote. So he's doing different things because he's just in, like... So there's no... Yeah, there's no, like... Rhyme or reason. Yeah. You know, you think BTK, buying, torture, kill, but there's a pattern. Right. Like, Bundy, like, kept certain parts. He would keep the faces nice and all that. Right. So... This guy's just not indiscriminate. Mm-hmm. He sounds like a rage killing, almost. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, both Mikael and Victoria participated in several biathlons together. Victoria competed along the serial killer and never would have guessed it. The shock so they had, wait, are you saying they had met previously, or they had at least been in the same space? The sister and Mikal had competed in the same biathlons. They, so, they, so they, had, they had seen each other by face, because they yeah, had done several of them. They'd them. been in the same places. Mm-hmm. She um, she said, quote, I was struck with horror when, when I saw the, eye, the picture of this maniac in the paper and online. My sister's killer was looking into my eyes. I immediately felt as if I met him. Looking at him, I could hardly breathe. Some minutes later, I looked at him another time and thought, Oh my God, I know him. I was so shocked. I even took a knife and cut out his face in the newspaper. I needed Ooh. to let this horror out of me, end quote. So she realized she had, like, yeah. you know, it's probably not a big community who does biathlons there. Right. 
especially if you're in a less populated area. Mm -hmm. So she had probably seen him a couple times. Oh my gosh. So, and mind you, he's talking. So we're getting some of this from him. Yeah. Mikkel admitted to picking up the girls while in uniform in a police car and driving them out to the forest. He ordered them to take off his clothes where he then raped both of them, which seems pretty standard. He takes them to the forest, makes them strip. Yeah. And he says, Sometimes he, he, it just depended how the women were acting or if they were drunk or not, if he was going to kill them or not. So the killing part, sometimes he would just rape them. And just let them. Yeah. So he then violently killed them, mutilating their bodies after they were dead. The crime scene was bloody and caused seasoned investigators to cringe. So that's how bad it is. Yeah. Uh, so we have two victims already. Okay. That we know of. Confirmed. Evening of January 26, 1999, a 15-year-old girl named Slitlana M. walked along the streets in Angsard towards a popular local restaurant. She was medium tight and looked like she could be 23, 24, although she was dressed conservatively and just about to start high school. She's actually 15. Okay. Mikhail recalled uh, Slitlana to be attractive and assumed her to be much older than she turned out to be. Although he was off-duty on this attack, Mikhail still wore his police uniform and drove a police car when he spotted Slitlana. Because it's way easier to prowl that way. Yes. He pulled up right to her and asked if she needed help or ride home. Svetlana later said she assumed the offer to be safe since it became it came from an officer in a police car. So she took him off on of the offer, as anyone would do. Yeah. At this time uh, of this incident, he had been killing women for six years. So oh, really, so as long as he's been a cop. So he's been doing, yeah. It's probably why he was attracted to the position of cop. Yeah. He later told police that he did not gain any satisfaction or adrenaline rush when Slitlana got into his vehicle. It was almost as if finding women, raping them, killing them became second a second job for Mikhail. A business, really. It's just like... It's what I do in namings. You yeah. Know? Oh, my God. Yeah. This guy's just running around. Well, and he's wearing an official uniform. Mm-hmm. So he can just... I mean, people aren't questioning your actions. And if you're a cop, why would you question if there's blood on a cop? Right. It's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay. Mikhail drove them to a wooden area and forced Svetlana to disrobe. She admitted was scared and confused by the demands placed by a cop on her. She hesitantly took off her clothes and instantly the policeman physically and sexually assaulted her. During the attack, Mikhail smashed her head against a tree with tremendous force and left her her body behind believing he had killed her. Somehow, she survived the initial attack. What? Regained consciousness with this amazing strength and determination. She survived a night in near freezing conditions. Holy crap, girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Made her way back to a village in Bacasava, uh, almost a mile from where the attack occurred. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. What a superhero. I know. And she's 15. Yeah. The next thing she recalls is waking up in a hospital and being scared. So that's her survival instincts took part, like play dead, play dead, play dead. She woke right. up. She probably was semi-conscious realize shit i'm going to die just like desperately trying to get away yeah yeah it's um i can't remember her name right now the woman who had both her arms cut off by singleton larry singleton oh yeah and she just she knew like play dead don't let him see you and then just try to survive right you have that will to live right so she continued to ask her mother for uh for as she continued uh, in the hospital she continues to ask for her mother as small pieces of her memory come back. She had been, she knows she had been brutally attacked by a police officer, which is terrifying and confusing because guess who comes to investigate this stuff? Right. Police officers. Yeah. Right. Um, Doctors are mainly just like, 
how are you alive and able to talk? Because your head was smashed open. Because you should be dead by all accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Despite being told to calm down and not talk, she could not contain her fear as a result of her attack, which is fair. Once the doctors learn that uh, she had been sexually assaulted based on Svetlana's telling a nurse parts of the encounters that she could remember. So I think she's just trying to get it out. Right. Because she could still die. Right. You know, parts of her head, like, they didn't say, but parts of her head could be exposed for all we know. Um, You ready to feel bad? Even worse? Okay. Yeah, let's keep going. (laughs) The police uh, refused to investigate her attack or the sexual assault. Oh, my God. This girl's brain's busted in. Did they say why? Did they give a reason why? Uh, No. What? Yeah. And it's not like she fell off her bike. No. I asked you if you wanted to feel worse. (laughs) Well, I do. You're right. I do. You didn't, you didn't know you were going to feel that bad? Oh, I'm sitting. I'm pretty upset. Yeah. And, I mean, how do you think the people in this town feel? Like, it keeps happening, and the cops are doing nothing. Right. Are there other reports, like, saying that a police officer is involved? Because Svetlana is saying that a police officer is involved. Right. I couldn't find that it was coming up in the newspapers, but they basically had the community pressure and Svetlana's family pressuring the police until they finally talked to her. They're like, no, this happened. This happened. You have, and like the community is like, why are you not? What's going on? Yeah. Why are you investigating this? What's happening with this? Right. Because she's 15. She's a kid. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, you, you, at this point, it's similar to the 40 plus other homicides and sexual assaults that have occurred in this area. 40 plus. Yeah. When she was interviewed, uh, the thing she said caused the investigators to be very concerned. She described in perfect detail her attacker was a local police officer who wore a police uniform and had picked her up in a police car. Uh, she said she recognized the officer and seen him several times before. So she could pick him out of a lineup. Mm-hmm. Without um, hesitation, she insisted that Mikael was the man who raped and tried to kill her. Which should have been, you know, okay, got wow, it. Wow, pretty Done. easy to start looking in a direction. Yeah, so that would mean Tanya and Yulia would be alive. Right. Because this is a... This, this is before that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a cup of rage if I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. Which is now a t-shirt on the, the Threadless shop. Shameless plug, shameless plug. There we go. Shameless plug. In the middle of the murder pod. <laughs> shameless plug. A cup of rage, though. Cup of rage is definitely something I'm feeling... Yeah, and trust me, when you look at that cup, you don't doubt that it, it's rage no. coming out of that cup. Yeah. So, yeah, that investigation didn't happen because, you know, this eyewitness that picks him out of a photo lineup yeah. can't be reliable. Uh, Svetlana later said she would have testified against Mikhail if given the opportunity, but the police never came back to talk to her. And so they track him down. They interview him about his uh, attacks. And Wait, who's... The, the police are tracking the Mikhail police, down? The police go to Mikhail and they're like, what were you doing the night of the, the attack and attempted murder of Svetlana? And he's like, wasn't there. I was with my wife. And not showing any emotion, not overtly concerned that the police are right on his tail. He plays off the allegation with ease and the investigator's like, couldn't be him, but we'll check with his wife. So the guy's a robot. So they then go to speak to Elena Poplov, his wife. Elena's like, yeah, my husband was home all night. And he would never hurt anyone, especially a young girl, because he loves his daughter so much. I wonder if she believes that. I wonder if she's like, I wonder if she actually just has never seen. He was never violent towards them. So she just completely siloed off that whole part of his self. Mm -hmm. Um, 
she had never known Mikhail to be violent. And she's like, how dare you accuse my husband of like this falsely accuse him of this crime. He has done so much for that community. Remember he shot a rapist mid rape. Right. Like how dare you? Why would he turn around and rape and kill people? Right. So investigators like, cool. Got this. Close that case. It's not him. So two close friends, Mariana Lina, who's 35 and Liliana Pashkoeva, age 37, left home to have a couple drinks, catch up, you know, with their lives. They are two housewives with a couple kids, and they just go out. Sometime before midnight, they exit uh, the establishment they were at, get, like, a little tips. They probably had too, a little too much to drink. They're strolling towards the curb outside the bar, and they notice a police car inching towards them. A handsome officer rolls down his window and is like, hey, you guys need a ride home? You guys look like you've had a bit much. I've heard this story before. Yeah. They look at each other like, it's a police officer. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Uh, according to Mikhail, he unlocked the cruiser doors and allowed the women in. He asked them where they lived. They told him. He changed, uh, their course and headed towards the forest. He, he, reasoning, because he felt they were despicable women. He believed that they should have been home with their husbands instead of out drinking and carrying on. Oh, yeah, that's what's, that's, that's why, yeah. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, he decides this based, uh, on a preconceived idea that women who were out drinking were unfaithful and because uh they're out drinking together they're both unfaithful where did he get that idea we'll, we'll talk about it so uh, before his victims you know they've had a bit of drink as anyone can know in a car it kind of lulls you to sleep uh-huh. uh before they figured out where they were he forced them from the car made them strip raped both of them he then lost control of himself and quote as a starving animal with its first meal in days when he was done, he gathered himself, calmed down, put on his clothes, and left the scene, end quote. He was... That's how he described himself? This is... I got this book from a... Uh, the, I quoted the author of the um, Werewolf Killer, The True Story of a Russian Cop Turned Serial Killer. Okay. And it, that's just such a vivid description of yeah. how he attacks them. Is right. that it's like wild animal. Just animalistic. Just yeah. savage brutality. Yeah. And just afterwards, he's just like, okay. And then he just shuts it right back off. Mm-hmm. So... Once he gets close to town, he realizes he's missing his necklace that the police officers wearing wear to in- identify them as police officers, aka like dog tags. Okay. So you know, like, hey, this is actually a cop. Right. Which is how people would be more comfortable with him. Right. So he turns around and goes back to the murder scene to look for his necklace and the police battalion. He gets back. He finds one of his victims is still alive. Proceeds to go to his car, take out a shovel, and beat her to death all calmly. Um. So, after confirming the second woman's dead, he searches the area, quickly finds his police medallion he dropped while he viciously attacked and killed Liliana and Mariana. It was covered with uh, blood and brain fragments. Yeah. In case you were wondering. As would happen in a vicious, brutal shovel murder. He wipes the medallion clean and replaces it on his necklace. And he told investigators, quote, I found the token right away, but saw the fact that one of the women was still breathing. I was shocked by the fact that she was still alive. I finished her with the shovel, end quote. Just that dead calm the whole time. They were not immediately discovered. Members of their family took out newspaper ads and searched the streets, hospital jails, and really just were, because they're like, this isn't like, yeah, this isn't like them. They're mothers who took care of their kids. They just wanted a night out to catch up. Right. So they were hoping there was a reasonable explanation for their disappearance, but every day that passes, they fear that they're one of the number. And they're putting really a lot of pressure on the local police to find Liliana Mariana 
and to provide answers to what happened. Other local victims' families joined with their families and marched towards the police station looking for someone to answer their questions. So he's murdered so many people at this point, they can make a march. It was like a freaking rally. Mm -hmm. So, as a few family members camp out at the police station refusing to leave until someone tells them what they're doing to catch the psycho murdering women almost weekly in Ansgard. Yeah, almost weekly. Almost weekly. Yeah, and he's not doing, like, you think, oh, doing one is bad. He's doing them in pairs as well. Right. That's when I said the physical his physicality comes into it. He's a strong, fast dude. He can control more than one person at a time. Yeah. At one point, uh, the police refused to take a missing person report for both women, claiming they were adults and probably got drunk and wandered off. What? Yeah, uh, what? Russia. Uh, so Wandered off away from your whole life. Mm-hmm. And you haven't returned. Right. Four days after Liliana and Mariana went missing, the gruesome scene was discovered outside of town. Police confirmed within hours that it was their remains. The families were crushed, and the whole community's morale hits an all-time low. Families were outraged that a local hiker had to find their loved ones instead of the police, who still had no answers. The suspect's DNA had been taken in the form of semen from both bodies and booked into the evidence, and they had done that with the other cases. So they were doing some good police work, but just not on so many easy fronts. Um, So a local public funeral service was held. Liliana's casket was left open because the killer did not touch her face, but Mariana's casket had to remain closed because the killer had cut her and dismembered her so poorly that no one felt she should be displayed in such a manner. So she was probably the one that got hit with the shovel. Yeah. And was just... She she was, yeah, you probably... um, The fact that one woman's face was left clean, the other woman's face was cut up, kind of became his calling card. He never explained why he did this at several crime scenes, though. And um, they, the community's like, yeah, this is definitely the werewolf again. So as the investigators are interviewing Liliana and Mariana's family to identify, um, no clear leads were developed, and they officially added it to the werewolf investigation. There was no progress, and the case became stagnant. The whole werewolf case became stagnant. Stag- there's how many bodies at this point? I'll tell you how many there are at the end. Um, so... Let's go to our friend, Mikael. Mikael uh, reveled in the fact that the police could not identify him as a killer and botched the investigations on a regular basis. For years, uh, law enforcement was convinced that the werewolf killer worked as a driver, railroad employee, heating station engineer, metal worker, or cemetery worker because uh, the evidence at the scene and in the manner which the victims were killed led the police to believe the murder was fiercely strong, especially in his arms and hands, someone who cared little for human life. They also found uh, screwdrivers, pipes, wrenches, and other items commonly used in the professions above, uh, which led them to believe that the killer was a blue-collar man. Even though... He was leaving crap around the murder scenes? Yeah, he wasn't very good at cleaning up after himself. Sounds like he wasn't. Uh, So, you know that many serial killers return to the scene of their crimes? Sure. Mikkel took it a step further and responded to the calls of the bodies while on duty. So he would... They would be the call that they found the bodies. And he would go out he would to respond. Oh, my God. Um, he took pride in directing the police at the scene, which he had created, pointing them in different directions so as to clean himself. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because he's in charge of the... He can be in charge of the investigations. He, or at least be or at very least active. directed, yeah. And he's admitted that he has raped or had sex with all the girls that he picked up. So even if you got in his car and he didn't kill you... Yeah, he, he would assault you. He would assault you, yeah. Um, he also informed them during the interrogations 
that during the act of raping them, he would assess his victim and determine whether or not he wanted to kill them. As to why he wanted to punish them, he said, quote, so others would not behave in such a way and so they would be afraid, end quote. He, why, why women in, who are drinking and he believes are unfaithful? He truly believed his wife had cheated on him several times and he, if he killed loose women, they would stop being free with his, their bodies and sleeping around on their husbands. So he's like a missionary morality killer. There's also been hints that maybe his mother like was abusive towards him. Mm. And that's why. But I mean, if he's insecure in his marriage and he thinks his wife's cheating on him. Yeah. It seems much more likely just based on his attacks. If it was like his mother, he probably wouldn't have picked women he viewed as loose unless she beat him for that reason. But Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So he did it because he didn't want other married men to feel the overwhelming pain he felt believing his wife had cheated on him because he loved his wife so deeply and he felt so betrayed, um, even though there's no proof she actually cheated on him. So this is just some fantasy that he created. I think like an anxiety dream. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the times uh, he was, so after he tells him all this, he goes back to talking about his uh, methodology. He said, quote, I was in uniform. I decided to stop and give a woman a ride. I frequently did that before. The woman began talking to me. I offered a lift. She agreed. The same morning, I drove the head of the criminal investigation unit to her murder scene, end quote. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things he bragged about during this case is how he took several investigators to crime scenes that he was responsible for and toyed with his peers as they're trying to figure it out. So he's enjoying this. Yeah, he's savoring mm-hmm. the power trip. He would steer them in the wrong direction, dispose of evidence, use evidence from other cases that he had stolen from evidence lockers to plan at the scene just to fuck with them. Yeah. And it worked because they had no idea that it was him. Because he's in the perfect position to manipulate the case. Yeah. Oh, on top of that, um, sometimes after he killed the victims, he is admitted to necrophilia. Great. In case he couldn't be more of an asshole, a shit person. Find one last way to be disgusting. Yeah. Though, like you said, you know, we said it's animalistic. He admitted that in the heat of the murder, he had no control over himself. And he didn't even um, speak about it, really, or hinted that he was embarrassed about having sex with corpses. So I feel like we should have done your story first or second, because mine got dark. Oh, man. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, why did he stop, though? In one instance, he contracted syphilis from one of his victims, which embarrassed him and eventually made So he sucks. Best thing syphilis has ever done. Yes. Um, on top of this, we're not sure if he's still having relations with his wife at home. Mm. So, so he could have given her syphilis. Or it could have, like, hey, maybe if you tried to be intimate with your wife, you wouldn't be you going... Can, you can get an outlet for that sexual urge. But mm-hmm. it sounds like, I mean, at this point, it sounds like it's... Yeah. It's like a fantasy at this point. I think at first he was just mad, so he couldn't deal with it and took out his rage. Right. And then he discovered he liked it. Right. And then he just kept doing it, and then it became habit. Right. So, other than his DNA, there's nothing at the crime scenes to connect it to him. Since he believed DNA advances were never coming to Russia, he was confident that he would never be caught. So when does DNA advances come to Russia, you may ask? When does DNA advances come to Russia? 2012. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Not too long ago. Yeah. Um, All police officers in Russia were forced to provide their DNA samples. But (laughs) what did you notice? Police officers in Russia. Is Mikhail a police officer now? No, so they don't track former officers. Oh, <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Soon, all retired officers were also forced to provide their DNA for Get testing. You motherfucker. And uh, Mikhail did it 
even though he knows his DNA could be traced to over 81 murder scenes. What? Oh, what? No, I'm not joking. 81 murders, and he didn't murder all of them. Oh my god. Yeah. And he just willingly did it? <laughs> I knew that was worth the wait. Uh, media outlets originally reported that Mikhail turned himself into the police. Actually, he tried to leave the country. Because, remember, once a cop, always a cop. He still had friends in the police force, and he learned that they were looking for him. So he retrieved a large amount of cash from a safety deposit box, went to the Anskar train station, purchased a ticket, and headed east towards China. So. He was running for the border. Mm-hmm. He made it to the airport and was arrested while trying to board the plane. Oh, gotcha, motherfucker. Yes! This is a movie moment. Yes, for real. Like, had he made it to China, it was very likely that he would have gotten away with it. It's like the opposite of these. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and mind you, the 80 number, it was when this book was written. And there's been more since. Yeah. More discovered. Yeah. 2017. The book was written in 2017? Yeah. And there's been more. Like I said, there was an update. Oh, my gosh. So, on the day of his arrest, the media hounded his family. His mother answered the press questions about the, their her son being a suspected killer with, quote, he loves his family, cherishes his daughter, and he dreamt about grandchildren. grandchildren. He couldn't, he would not have done this. He will remain my son until my death. He studied well and from the very beginning was an excellent pupil. He loved to cook uh, pancakes or some, something like this. Again, these are translated. And he was very neat like me, end quote. So loving mother situation. Antonio, the mother, said, uh, Misha, give us some sign that if you have done this or not, and if so, why? It is hard to live knowing nothing, we need to know, end quote. So the mom's like, I don't believe you did this, but if you did this, give us a yeah, sign. Yeah, just say something. And, yeah. So his sister, uh, Elena, was questioned about the sentence. She replied, quote, it's a tragedy. You know, she's not, con- end quote, she's not convinced that it was brother. They can't really think about it. And, like, no one in their family is violent. So, like, yeah. they have no idea. It's, like, all out of left field. It just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So he admitted to some of the murders and was found guilty in the court, uh, in court. And really, his family believed he's innocent, like, throughout the whole first trial. Oh, my gosh. I believe we're on the fourth trial. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> on top of this, when the case breaks open, Mikhail's daughter, Katrina, was 29 years old and pregnant with her first child. He was so happy and ready to be a grandfather. He called to check on his daughter several times the day before he was arrested. So he's that much of, like, I'm so excited for this. Right. He's just so separated. Mm-hmm. That's crazy how far he's separated. Yeah. Uh, reporters harassed her on the outside of the courtroom after the first hearing of the trial against her father and she spoke about her father quote i do not believe any of this i always felt myself as a daddy's girl for 25 years we were together hand in hand end quote so then you see like interviews with him and stuff and any pictures of him dude's got dead eyes yeah and i didn't even show you well i showed you the one picture where he looks like a goblin and he kind of has dead eyes right so you know you, it's hard for them to separate these two people that they knew. And their family unit was so strong. He wanted to be the best father and husband that he could be. And he was even referenced as being giddy at the thought of becoming a grandfather. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. 2015, where the first uh, brief trial was covered by local media and some international stations, he was found guilty. And then the relationship with his family begins to change because, you know. But why? I think at first he was in, he was, it was like 30 people, 30 women. Okay. He, and they've just been adding. And it's just been escalating. Yeah. 
Um, you know, Elena, his wife for a long time said that he couldn't be a killer, let alone a serial killer. Cause she gave on two occasions alibis where he would have been the murderer. Yeah. So, um, the investigators then shared with Elena the fact that Mikel told them that he thought she cheated on her and the anger he felt from, from that led to the killing spree. And so then she didn't really believe him. So at the time of um, 2017, he was charged with 58 murders. Uh, I believe they were up to 70-something now. How do you feel? A little sick and pretty upset. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, over how long a period of time is this? Like, when did he start this? They believe he started around 90, 92. And he's in trial, and it's it's 2012 now. Or, twenty. sorry, it's 2019, and he's still in trials now. Yes, this, it's the Daily Mirror, and it just came out beginning of April. Um, He's convicted of 78 murders and um, alleged to have 30 more victims from 1992 to 2010. Oh, my gosh. So for almost 20 years. I mean... They said I, I, he slowed down, but at one point it was almost like at one every two weeks. Yeah. Like that. It's not even like one a year. Right. So. Because he's just, he feels completely safe. He feels completely empowered to just do this. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. That's uh, Mikhail Popolov, the werewolf killer. Oh, my God. Which, it struck me as interesting because you don't hear a werewolf killer a lot. It's always vampire. Yeah. And then as I started reading it, I got disgusted. Yeah. Especially because the problem, the reason why there there are not a lot of details out. So that's why we only have... Because it's so ongoing. Or just because... Russia. Right. As you and I both know, getting things out of Russia. Yeah. We have friends who were informed in grad school, if you go, budget for bribe money. Right. So, yeah. Holy crap. Well, I guess we'll all just see how this continues. Yeah. Since this isn't technically over yet. No, it's not over. And you just feel so, I feel so bad for the victim's families because they were screaming for so long. For so long, yeah. And no response. There wasn't even an attempt at an investigation. I mean, it sounds like a lot of these people knew who to look for. They're like, well, you had Svetlana. She was like, it's a police officer. Right. And they did nothing. They just wrote it off. And that's 98, which means... There's over 10 years of more killing. 10 years of murders could have been. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's just like, and the crazy thing is, it's not just one victim, it's two victims at a time. And he's just not being discriminate. You just need to be a woman. Right. And mind you, that's just murders. Right. They're not talking about rapes. Right. So. Yeah, we're not even discussing however many more people that could be on the nights he didn't feel like. Yeah, or they did something while he was raping them and he said, okay. Right. You're fine. Right. And how terrifying is that to be? Like, say you survived the sexual assault. He's a cop. Right. Even when he's done being a cop in 98, you still have to see him around. Right. And his, like, you probably see him with his wife and his wife's a cop. So, like, you have no reason to trust they're going to do anything. Right. You feel so unempowered. You feel so, yeah, I can't even imagine. Oh, my gosh. That's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, that's so terrifying. I told you it was going to haunt your dreams. It's pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrendous. Is that the highest count that we've had in terms of serial killers reported? I'm not. He's up there. He's one of the top. I mean, he has to be, right? He's one of the top ones. It just, I think it's depending what we're counting as serial killing. Okay. I'm not sure if he's the top, but he's definitely like really high up there. Yeah. Um, Because he's got such free reign. Yeah. I know Samuel Little, who just, from Ohio. Yeah. 
uh, he's he's admitted to ninety. Yeah. So Poplov is like is if he gets more convictions. I mean, this isn't a race. No, it's not uh, a know, race. Like it's, the, yeah. It's it's a race to hell. Well, they're both going. So. Yeah. And just, I just every time you think how many times they they could have stopped this in ninety eight. Yeah. And how many times this could have been could have been ended? How many times if they just. Uh, and but like you said, it sounded like he was already, I mean, he was actively preventing that. He was manipulating the crime scenes. He was manipulating the police force themselves. And how messed up is it if you're like one of those investigators and you think, oh, he drove me there. Right. Like. Right. You realize how many car rides you've been on. Oh, yeah. And then he would go home to his wife and his kid. Right. Like. And just be a, like a, just play at being good daddy. I don't. That's the thing. I don't think he was playing up being a good daddy. I think he just, he was mad at Elena. Yeah. And he took it out. And he found a way to separate that from his life. Yeah. And it was how he dealt with still being with her. I don't think she actually cheated on him. It doesn't, like, there's no... It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter, but there's still no conclusion. And that's right. not how you deal with someone cheating on you. Well, no, no obviously not. But yeah. Oh, my God. Especially because she didn't know. Right. Could you imagine having the investigator sit you down and be like, so we figured out why your spouse um, has been killing people. Yeah. He believes that you cheated on him, and this is how he's dealing with it. Right. By murdering you by proxy several dozens of times. Yeah. And preventing so other husbands don't feel that way. Hey, maybe if you talked to your wife, maybe that would have right. helped you sort out. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. Well, that was mortifying, <laughs> Courtney. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about your podcast? I'm sorry. There's no easy. Tra- um, there's so, no, no easy transition. Yeah, um, I'm I'm currently starting up a podcast. Uh, a couple of friends of mine tell uh, fun, crazy stories from various parts of history and get trashed while we do it. So if you like television shows like Drunk History or uh, just hanging out, telling funny stories and getting drunk with your friends, uh, come check us out. We're going to be called Drunk Thunks, and uh, hopefully we'll be uh, hitting the airwaves. Uh, either later this spring or early this summer. I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be a fun time. So we'll catch you later, devotees. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, July 13th is coming up soon. And if you want to meet me and a bunch of my podcasting friends, about 80 of them, come down to the True Crime Podcast Festival at the Marriott downtown, right on the Magnificent Mile, you know, right by the Bean in that beautiful park. So... I'm excited to see some of my favorites, All Crime, No Cattle, Ignorance Was Bliss, Nature versus Narcissism, Paranormal Chicks, The Getting Off Podcast, Dark Routine. All of your indie favorites are going to be there, as well as a lot of the big names. This is a full day event, and the sooner you sign up, the cheaper it's going to be. So make sure you sign up soon. And there's going to be meet and greets. I'll be there. Um, I have ordered some things so if you're there you might get some exclusive goodies and you know there's some amazing events going on some panels like uh you know getting off and la not so confidential are doing a live episode as part of this there's also amazing panel with uh court junkie misconduct and pretend radio so really why haven't you bought your tickets yet i already have And I hope to see you there. I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted, True Crime, Domestic Violence. We investigate cases of family violence each season 
using academic research to help us interpret the events so that we can become better advocates. In season one, we followed the case of little Militia Gibson, who was murdered by her stepfather as her mother stood by without intervening. We learned that Militia was not the only one being abused and took a hard look at laws and policies regarding abuse. In season two, we're telling the story of Tracy Thurman, who sued her city because police refused to protect her from her abusive husband. We'll also study the case of Joshua Osborne. His case was sensational, replete with a biker gang who rallied to protect Joshua and new legislation resulting from his case. Josh passed away a few years ago, and two of his siblings agreed to tell his story. Except they've revealed it wasn't just Josh's story. It's their story, too. One that has been suppressed for over a decade. You can find Targeted Podcast, True Crime, Domestic Violence, on iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcatchers. Peace, my friends. Peace. I'm Michael. I'm Brittany. And I'm Jake. And together we are the hosts of Drunk Thunks, a new comedy history podcast where we drink and share stories from history. If you're the kind of person who likes to drink and chat history with your friends, we are the podcast for you. You can find us on all major podcast platforms and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Drunk Thunks. We hope you'll stop by soon. Thank you. Thanks. of domesticity we're available on all podcatchers remember to rate review subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it our facebook and twitter are at domestic podcasts and our instagram is at the cult of domesticity we also have podcast merch at threadless uh as well if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation we have a paypal tip jar and a patreon which has some pretty great perks any topic suggestions feel free to email us at domesticpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com remember to stay domestic and cult free